different gravy not just another sheffield wednesday podcast i'm one of the hosts richard miller and my co-host a man of many names the thin white luke luke ellington and the grand old luke of york sure to name but a few but you and i know him as dr luke Ledor. how are you doing today luke i'm very good how about yourself rich oh not too bad not too bad i i definitely feel this for me is like the week where the novelty is sort of is wearing off in this uh this current situation this new normal as people talk about um and to to be honest you know as a as a chubby fella i'm really really missing mcdonald's i would love to have a mcdonald's right now (laughs) see i have it here in the not quite lockdown but basically almost lockdown kind of uh province of alberta in canada we're not there yet but um Mm. well yeah i'm hearing some noise you know i've got these sources um that mcdonald's might be returning next month so what's a fine treat a, a week of just purely eating mcdonald's morning noon and night is going to ensue i think to make up for lost time i will smother them like a you know a returning wandering child and <laughs> tell them to never never go never leave again <laughs> um, good. yeah how you how's how's uh, how are you progressing with tiger king i have finished tiger king tiger you king has tiger been king. including the even pandemic after show hosted by joel McCaley as well even that's Oh dear, I couldn't stick that. It was so, it was too low rent and poor (laughs) my taste. (laughs) Okay, shall we? um, Yeah, what did you make of that that extra nugget then? It was, um, it wasn't quite like a seventh chicken nugget in a box of six. Unfortunately, uh, did you did you did you laugh at my joke uh, retrospectively about the um, linking it to Sunderland Sunderland till I die with the limping businessman <laughs> coming and taking advantage of a failing business? I did think that was very funny. Yeah. <laughs> Good work, Rich. Uh, yeah, your man Jeff Lowe um, sort of has some of the uh, you know shares some some uh, some elements of his personality and demeanour with uh, Stuart Donald, the in over his head chairman of uh, of Sunderland. Um, so I once again you're 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 seeking to uh, to surprise and delight me, Luke, and we've got a we've got a new drop, which is this is will be the first time I'm hearing it, as well as folks uh, listening to the podcast. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that now. Partial hoo-hoos. Lovely stuff. Yeah, because I think we're going into this world now where there's no great real news to talk about every week. So I think it's a world of partial hoo-hoos. Myself. Yeah. How, how about you, Rich? Yeah, it's kind of a bit Wednesday related, but also not really. <laughs> so. And what better yeah. to lead off the action than to me to finish off talking about the FIFA Online tournaments, oh. um, which has been happening this week. And I really want to rattle through this quickly because I'm sick of talking about it and it's absolute <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> 
So we progressed through the group stages in uh, 100% kind of overwhelming fashion. Jordan O'Brien steering Wednesday into the um, plum tie against Grimsby Town Football Club. Um, all the action and drama kicked off with uh, Jordan O'Brien said he needs a wee, but we'll hold it in a bit. Um, not to kind of be a bit spoiler, but there were some kind of technical difficulties with this. So the man was holding his bladder for a good hour. I mean, oh. I don't don't think that's... Uh, don't think that's uh, very good for him. Just vaguely related, um, the comedian Sarah Pascoe has a pretty funny bit where she talks about, um, she read Tony Blair's autobiography and apparently he would, there's a technique of, of you don't, you know, before you do like a piece of public speaking or something like that, you actually choose not to go to the toilet because it kind of, I don't know, adds to maybe the adrenaline and gives you some performance boosts. Oh, um, really? also yeah, it's also something apparently David Cameron uh, believed in as well. Um, but she said she tried it and ended up with uh, with the status, which made her really angry all the time. Uh, which then maybe explained why you know Blair turned to war, um, had to act out because because of his holding in too too much weight. Um, but but what effect did it have on on young Mister O'Brien? Um, actually, he uh, managed to, uh, you know, uh, really waltz away with the first game. To, win the day. He managed to win the day with uh, with a big, I think it was 5-1. Oh. I think it was. No, 4-1 the first game. He's 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 pretty much trounced everyone he's come up against, hasn't he? There's Largely, with the exception of Jordan Willis from Sunderland. Of course. Last week as well. Um, so some funny little bits of light to kind of pick up on here. Um, he revealed he watched some footage of his opponent and knows how he loves his possession. So there we go. Doing a bit of uh, doing a bit of uh, research. <laughs> Old Jordan, Look, Jordan Obielsa. He's been watching um, the tape. And he also said he's very patient and, you know, talk of his opponent like very much like someone would do of a lover. <laughs> very good. So... Um, Windows hat trick as well within that five wad. The bod gets the ball. Excellent. So the giant way to get the second the second leg going in the second game was a bit after the Lord Mayor show, which as you know we're not a fan of on the podcast. No. One of um, our things I would say. So which uh, it uh, ended up with. Um, a 4-2 victory. A good moment in that where uh, John O'Brien said he can't play. He says he's going to play possession. And then he says very quickly afterwards, no, I can't. It's boring. Yeah. Um, eight free aggregate. A silky performance brings on the Silkman in the next round. Um, oh. Leading to my very quick notes that I've done. I've read it on paper here. So the great satisfaction of writing on paper, Rich, is I can ball it up and throw it into the garbage after I'm finished here. <laughs> So uh, the first game, the first game was um, a two-one victory with um, maybe a very careless kind of haphazard consolation goal, slim lead, taking okay. into the second league. So that was more, as I've put here, is more second leg against Spara Luxembourg than first leg against Spara Luxembourg. Okay. If you catch my drift, uh, <laughs> yes. Explain the inside joke there. That was a. 8-1 victory in the first leg and a 2-1 in the second. And that is the first piece of paper, which I've rolled up into a ball and I'm going to throw it into the garbage. <laughs> and I've hit. Fantastic. It is good. Second leg, um, it was looking like it was going to be a stalemate, staler than the flower in my cupboard until a one-minute last-minute winner for the Silkmen. Deciding oh. uh, winner game, 1-0 down early, and then came 2-0 down on the 35 minutes. A rampulent capitulation went down into a 3-0 deficit in the 48th minutes. Um, too real for Wednesday. Second page. He's lining up. <laughs> Luke Blenall. 
And he's missed very dramatically. Oh. So this probably kind of represents what's kind of going on here. Um, solitary goal pulled back to make it 3-1. The 73rd minute to 3-2. And then it was over Wednesday crash out. Third piece of paper to commemorate Luke never talking about online football. Uh, FIFA ever again. He's week. got it in. He's got it in. Lovely there we go. Stuff. So two out of three for Luke. And um, a lot more positive for Jordan O'Brien, even though Wednesday crash out against Macclesfield Town. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, you'll never ever talk about online FIFA again for maybe a week or two. I fucking hope not. <laughs> Um, the other bit of partial Wednesday news as well, I don't know if you saw this, Rich, but uh, the Wednesday media team did a very kind of sweet little interview with the players on how they're training. Oh, for them. Yes. Did you see that? Yes, I liked would you, it. Would you like me to regale you with my notes? I would love to hear this. notes, please. So Liam Palmer, the Workshop Express, is lucky to have a few pieces of equipment in the garage. Um, one thing I really enjoyed, Rich, was did you enjoy seeing the players outdoors and their gardens and their brickwork of their houses? That was quite nice. I just liked the whole thing. It was nice, uh, nice little, uh, well put together little video and get get a little glimpse into some of those relationships that they have in the squad. Dawson basically not liking anybody very much. Um. <laughs> Dawson but, said he, he missed reaching in his wonderful weird ways, which was he did he did sort of eventually, didn't he? Because I think he was asked like which one would he spend like to spend time with, and he was like none of them, to be honest. <laughs> 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 Who would you like to be in quarantine with? I think was the answer. And he's like none of them, to be honest. And then like and then eventually he's like maybe like all of them would be better than just one. <laughs> Which I kind of know what he means. Did you enjoy the fact that the um, the fact that the uh, Tom Lee's is hilariously most active on WhatsApp? Yes. So What's maybe I don't know, but do you find it funny that like he finds it difficult to talk in real life, but yeah, he's like he can't stop talking on um, IM Messenger apps. Do you think after he's like you know bundled a ball straight into the striker and, and given away another goal, and we you know we go down to another loss, he's you know, he, he, he sits there in the dressing room not saying anything, and then he gives them what for in the WhatsApp. Do you think that's what happened? Possibly. Maybe I'm going to say something now, lads, but I'm going to make myself known on the WhatsApp what, what my feelings are. Please check it out. I'm imagining him now, like, as some great kind of Shakespearean bard, only he's got, like, a tablet, which he's basically kind of, like, writing it out on the tablet, and then it's converted to WhatsApp for everybody. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe he just needs his like little inkwell. Maybe this is it. Maybe Tom Lee's is a far more distinguished character than we can Maybe. imagine. Rather than kind of previously, I think a lot of people just painting him into the kind of James Milner of the Sheffield Wednesday Club. <laughs> yes. Well, like James Milner himself, who seems to you know have a bit of a sense of humour about you know the pers- the public persona of of Milner. He uh, you know he indulges in that, doesn't he? He does. Um, um, the, the Murphy twins are hanging out together. Murphy twins are hanging out, and, and Jacob Murphy says he loves playing Monopoly Deal, which I've never heard of. Have you heard of this, Rich? Have you heard of this game? Uh, vaguely, I think it's I think it's one of these sort of variations on Monopoly to make it slightly less endless and tedious. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game that I, I find, by and large, it's kind of the. Um, the die is rolled, you know, figuratively, not literally, fairly early on in terms of who's going to who do all right and who's going to do poorly. And then it takes forever for that to kind of come to fruition. <laughs> oh, good stuff. 
Good stuff. Um, Do you know, um, was supposedly put together Monopoly, by the way, as a kind of anti-capitalist statement. Seriously. I think the whole idea was to, like, it was like a kind of educational tool to kind of go, doesn't capitalism, like, look, capitalism doesn't work. It's really bad. But it weirdly became quite a big money-making hit of a board game. So more fool them, hey? <laughs> But it's it's a very crippling reenactment of monop of like capitalism now, right? Yeah. Of how the yeah, increase so that was the whole point was it was kind of like you play a grand of monopoly and then you go, Look, see, capitalism doesn't really work because you end up with one person with all the money and everyone else is screwed. But then weirdly it became a big hit of a board game. So probably made the person millions. <laughs> Um, so Murphy loves playing Monopoly deal with Mojo? Who is Mojo? I don't know. Is that Moses Adebarjo? Ah, uh, maybe. That's the only I person I can think it is. We don't really have anyone who's MJ, do we? That would maybe fix no. it. Mojo. I don't know that I don't have a I don't have the um the encyclopedia of how to create uninspiring sporting nicknames. <laughs> On me at hand, oh, that does make sense for Adabajo, doesn't it? That does make sense. Yes, yeah, so. And Jordan um, Rhodes. And he said, because we love playing that. I know. Was, you really was... missed Jordan Rhodes as well. That, that was really sweet. I, I thought it was weird. Like, the thing I liked was, like, it was, I don't know. Like, I mean, the, the negative of that, you say, well, there's a lot of clicks in the dressing room. But I, I don't really know. It's, it's kind of a bit... Um, it felt a bit cryptic if you were trying. Yeah. You know, because so, everyone seemed to enjoy a little bit of someone else, which, so it seemed nice. It made yeah. me feel nice about that. And also, so Fernando Forestieri saying Nuge, is that, is that new you? Yes, I think so. I think so as well. He seemed to, those two seem to get on swimmingly and, uh, I said they'd be watching like a Spanish telenovela on Netflix together. I love the thought of them. Yeah. Well, I think that's just the the nature. House I think party. everyone, everybody, just seems to love Big Dave, don't they? It's a, it's yeah, it's one of those things that just seems to come down to it all the time, doesn't it? He he seems to just be a real character around the place. Mm. He does. I mean, he's a man who looks like he'd be quite pleasant to hog. I think. I think so. I, I can agree with that. Just as well. to as as this podcast often does. <clears throat> You know, stray into the homoerotic. Um, <clears throat> you know, he looks he looks like a comforting presence, and the fact that he seems to be a, a, a sort of fun chap on top of that. What a guy, Big Dave. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, with Mojo, uh, my brain kept getting stuck down the cul-de-sac of uh, Morris Johnson, who was one of the very few players to uh, cross the old firm divide. But as far as I know, doesn't play for Sheffield Wednesday at this point in time, and it would be quite weird for those players to be um, contacting that kind of 50-year-old man who's unrelated to them in any way. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> Stranger things have <laughs> And maybe with our ageing football squad, he's just what we need to get us over the line. And uh, <laughs> the rest of... Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe he's effective as, uh, as any of us in this uh, rest of a 19 to 20 season, which seems to be... Yeah. Seems to be continually trundling along... Um, as we see the Belgian and Netherlands leagues being cancelled. And the Scottish league has kind of been given the OK by UEFA to cancel, although they haven't made that decision yet. They they were, they would be they wouldn't be penalised for doing it. So that they might go that way as well. They because Scotland have said no kind of public gatherings over a certain size till September at least. 
which makes things very tricky time-wise. I, I do wonder what's going to happen. I mean, we've, we've, we've speculated enough. We don't need to spend too much time on it. But I do wonder how long it takes for push to come to shove. Because I think losing the remaining sort of half a dozen games of this season must surely come second to ruining next season you know for teams that are so reliant on ticket money to keep going there's such a there's such a giant knock-on effect with all of this i mean that's the thing like well we're gonna finish this season and i'm like well what about next season Mm. what happens to next season well uh, yeah no it's just we're all just making up as we go along aren't we really let's be honest yes that's the truth um who's that guy um so (laughs) uh we you know we keep thinking of new things to do with the podcast to fill our time um little projects to that that we sort of set ourselves so um if you've if you've nothing else luke i think that we should sort of tee up the uh the 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 main matter for the day Are, are you happy with that i am indeed so um, what we decided to do was read the book by Tom Whitworth called Owls, uh, Chef Wednesday Through the Modern Era. Uh, so this is <clears throat> effectively really taking a look at, for, for, for you and I, kind of are the main chunk of football that we've kind of been aware and around for. So kind of dropping in in the 90s in detail um, and then following that through to the the sort of the playoff final um in the championship against Hull so that's that's kind of the spread of history that's zeroing in on um so I don't know we're not doing a book review necessarily but uh we'll probably will make comments on on the book as 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 we sort of go through uh and I think we're just gonna sort of see see how we get along Uh, so in terms of the first couple the first chapter really is um, a sweep through pretty much a hundred years or so of history, maybe well, probably more, um, zeroing in on little details and then decades passing in a couple of sentences at other times. Um, but kind of laying the themes of the book, which is a lot about around sort of financial prudence and that relation, the relationship that financial sort of controls have on the success of the football club. Would you think that's fair to say? I think so. I think the interesting thing is that, you know, this is pretty much our kind of I find it funny that it, this is our for both of us about the time we've kind of come into that young age of being cognizant of football at a greater at a a greater deal than probably are when you are just you're just kicking enjoying kicking a ball and maybe playing sunday league before the age of 10 and you kind of reach that age of 10 um so for me we're very similar age groups i'm 36 that's probably about 93 and that's kind of coinciding with kind of this early wednesday team but you know obviously the interesting thing is that none of us really do kind of acknowledge when the times are good and when this is, you know, there's this kind of entitlement of being a football fan and thinking, you know, we should be the best all the yes. time. Yeah. And we should be great giants within the game and we deserve to be here. And, you know, all, probably can be taken with a pinch of salt to fans club, you know, of the club like close to heart. But kind of outside of that, you kind of look at that and kind of rip it to pieces, really. Um and maybe sometimes, you know, where there's only kind of fleeting moments of self-awareness for the collective of, of fan base and group to say, yeah, you know, it's not actually how it's all supposed to be all the time. <laughs> yes. So um, I think it's interesting that it, it does actually kind of, for people like ourselves and of this age group, it dovetails quite easily into like the peak 
and then that decline from the peak that has been seemingly nearly 30 years in the making now. Yeah, I, I did. I sort of noted, I think, that the author must be very similar ages to ourselves because he mentions he was 14 in 2000. Um, so that was, I sort of thought, yeah, probably about, <laughs> yeah, maybe a year or two away from, from ourselves. So um, it's nice to see those kind of shared experiences and, and zero in on that bit of that period of history where, as you say, by and large, we were alert and, uh, and and showing a bit of a deeper interest um but I, I also think a natural thing maybe not a natural thing but a thing we both kind of experience is, is sort of peaks and troughs in terms of that interest um I, i'm interested when we get to certain bits of the the history how how sort of keyed in you were in because you, you were because you you had a sort of period of time showing uh you know kind of cut off from from things um but in terms of the the book, so we had that first chapter kind of rip through an awful lot of history. Um, second chapter is a, a very sort of sobering and damning account of the Hillsborough disaster. Um, and that's something that's tied up later in the, the kind of concluding bits of the book as well. It, it kind of bookends the story. Um, I don't know that there's a particular amount to say about that but you may, if you've got notes do feel, do feel free to burst in um but then we move into that where we really zero in on the on the history the third chapter is talking about 90 1990 1991 uh the league cup final um and that's where we start to pay a lot of attention to to each season really um that's what the book's about you know it's about this period of history so the bit beforehand is kind of a bit wikipedia-ish just kind of reeling off lots of stats and stories uh, from the early days um but from from chapter three onwards, that's where we're into the meat of the uh, of the book. What the, what the book's all about. Um, for example, the fourth chapter is about Le Magicien Waddle. Um, so, what did you what did you what were you sort of thinking? This sort of so in t- in terms of ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. That's when I was I sort of became a Sheffield Wednesday fan around that sort of time. I remember ninety three. I wasn't present at the uh, final, but I, I was. I was certainly aware of that happening. I think 91, I, I wasn't so much. Um, so yeah, I think 90- for me as well, that was a similar deal. I remember also, actually, um, the funny thing is I was chatting with my eldest brother who helped kind of source this book. I had a few kind of access issues and uh, oh, just right. had it kind of gifted to me for my brother, which was nice. So I managed to get that read for, you know, for this podcast today. And, um, you know, I remember the fact that my eldest brother, Andy, was actually... Um, actually was supposed to be going to the Wembley uh, Cup final, League Cup final in 91, um, but actually had to have his appendix out. Um, so oh. he actually was uh, tied up in hospital that day. So, you know, he's probably got a lot better kind of recollection of that. For me, it's not, for me, it's kind of probably coming into the forefront of definitely the, you know, the FA Cup and the League Cup in 92-93 finals, yeah. semis and the final. Yeah, that was my sort of, I don't know, yeah, that was my sort of awakening as a, as a fan, really. Um, I think in terms of my sort of wane, in it, I, was, I was still, you know, I was all, always interested, but I think kind of end of school, university sort of time, I was paying less attention. Um, I think I do remember sitting, well, I, so I don't, I'm, I'm torn whether to kind of go through <laughs> the chapters as they fall um, and keep ourselves on I've, I think we should because I, I think yeah. 
It's um, just to kind of talk about, it's kind of a bit like Chekhov's gun. The gun in the first act has become something in the third. So I think it's keen to kind of look at how historically, because I think we're really building, it's like you're building a house out of debt, basically. Yes. The bricks are loan notes from the bank and um it really is the 90s are really much a very much establishment of you know coming up into the time of the near kind of the point of near wentz's death which i think is something that we can probably talk about probably was something that we were there for Mm. you know we can remember quite clearly and i i find it i think the interesting thing is from going from is from reviewing this book um it's you know it is well written it is a well put together piece it is kind of lovingly crafted. I think Tom Whitworth's done a great job. But in another sense, it's kind of, it's difficult to see how good this thing is. Um, but really, I think it's definitely a lot of these kind of books on football are for football fans. If they're trying to fill in maybe some cracks or fill in that bits of knowledge, offer a different perspective. But also it offers you the chance to kind of reflect and remember that. And I think that's the thing that's powerful for this book for Wednesday fans is that you can remember those moments and you can remember those signings and those events. And yeah, I think it, we need to kind of look at this chronologically. So I, I think it's, yeah, um, I think it, it captures a good period and I think it's important to like look at those phases as it were. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting what you say. And I, I think, I think where, as you say, it is it is well written, and it's 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 sort of there were times where I was really you know sort of dragged along with the narrative, and I kind of had you know late nights sort of finishing off chapters and things like that. Um, but I, I liked more of the kind of color around the edges that I, I probably wasn't was less aware of. So sure. Um, so the, the 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 talk of the the mole um, in the camp that Trevor Francis had. So there was somebody leaking sort of reports from the dressing room to news of the world during Trevor Francis's time as a manager. And it's like, I didn't know, I didn't really know about that. That's, I mean, maybe, maybe that's common knowledge to other people, but that was kind of intriguing to me. Um, but it maybe got like a couple of chapters, <laughs> not a couple of chapters, a couple of paragraphs. And then it, there's not too much extra around it, um, which would have been, it would have been intriguing to kind of, sure, I I, Francis says, I know who it was. I, was like, oh. I think the interesting thing is, I think for a lot of this, it's kind of, it's interesting to think about to the credit of Tom Whitworth, he's managed to get time with, you know, Lots. lots of characters the interesting thing i found was just to kind of very just kind of jump ahead to the end was you know he was thankfully said i'm you know here's my list of thanks and he listed all the people pretty much who he's managed to chat with but it's interesting that i think there are two very big figures who interviewed who were very much kind of spoken to from what i can kind of tell who i think it feels like original material and that's lee strafford and david pleats in my opinion. Um, I thought it was interesting, like near the end, but anyway, it was kind of talking about look over, like he interviewed Frankie Simek and I don't remember any quotes from Simek whatsoever. So I thought it was interesting that they've had that conversation and he's probably said, there's no great relevant information to give towards this, this story from this. I did. I, I, I said several, yeah, several never even get more than a passing mention. So yeah, Simek is, is mentioned, but there's no quote from him. There's Trump Egel Saltved, who again, I don't think is ever quoted. Petter Rudy, I, I think does get quoted slightly, but Kevin Summerfield, I don't think gets quoted. So like, yeah, lots of the people he spoke to or several people that he spoke to didn't get much of a look in, um, which is, I suppose that's just the nature of it. You talk to people and I mean, I, I, I've never done anything 
like that as a you know like the book as a project but you know kind of schoolwork and things like that i suppose you do questionnaires and some of some of the time it just doesn't go anywhere um i've done bits of research where you know the answer's not what you know the answer's no or whatever it doesn't so it doesn't actually produce anything positive but i suppose it it helps hopefully to round round things out um and I, I find interesting the concept of like, if you're writing a book, how would that kind of work? How would that work with interviewing people? How are people um, predisposed to kind of give a certain amount of information? So it's interesting for someone like Plea, who's, I imagine, long retired at this point. You know, he probably doesn't feel like he needs to kind of, um, you know, he can probably be a bit more honest than maybe someone else in different position. Um, I think Lee, Tra- Lee Strafford was someone who would like to be as transparent as possible. So it's interesting to kind of look at those two characters and think, yeah, that's the reason why they're kind of coming out and being interviewed and being very forthright about a few things. Well, there's, it's interesting. So I don't, let's, let's, <laughs> let's not jump ahead, but yes. I, I find there's, there's t- two pivotal figures, obviously in, in that sort of period of time. Pleat is, is prior to that. Pleat is a very much a kind of man of the, the nineties. Um, but sort of post relegation, Lee Strafford is a massive figure. Dave Allen is a huge figure. Uh. Let's save it for later. But I, I'm, I find the way both of those people are covered intriguing. And I think the fact that time was spent speaking to them may have had a bit of an impact on how they're covered in the book as well, potentially. But let's um, <laughs> let's save that. That's, we'll, we'll bury that lead for now. And... <laughs> So in terms of the, you know, the kind of the heyday, the, you know, the glory days, what were the things that sort of stood out to you? So um, I sort of said that 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 information about the mole was kind of interesting to me. Um, And there's also... Prior to that, the, the the previous chapter talking about the uh, the cup final in '91 and and the surrounding things. There's this massive scandal of payments going out to players and not being accounted for and things that should have been taxed. And it seems like basically between Wednesday and the FA, they kind of agreed to just not make a thing of it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, I, that was that was something I kind of glossed over. I'm going to be honest. Uh, Accountants investigation found how since uh, since at least 1985, loans totaling over 250,000 had been made to various players. This was when a year's wages for the majority of players was 30 to 40,000. There have been instances of undeclared payments to players or instances of non-payment of tax uh, on such things as 3,000 pounds of carpeting uh, paid up paid paid by the club to a retailer on behalf of one employee. Um, but they, yeah, there was sort of a discussion with the the, the Dave Richards sort of said, oh, I, I spoke to somebody at the FA about it. And then the person at the FA said, I didn't speak to him about it. And then they had a closed doors meeting with the FA and it was like, yeah, we decided not to do anything about this. So it's all all right. <laughs> just It was just an intriguing little moment, particularly as Mr. Richards, you know, seems quite the politician uh, towards the, you know, the end of his time involved at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, you know, he, he ascended several boardrooms and uh, seems to have been quite good at, through whatever means, kind of climbing that that, uh, that greasy pole that we talk about uh, on, and climbing aboard the gravy train. So, so, uh, so yeah, so, so with a, what, what bit sort of stood out to you from that, that time uh, prior to the, the beginning of the fall? <laughs> so I think <clears throat> the big thing that kind of hits me about the 90s and is then it's so we talk about 
you know, I talk about that gun in the first act is like very much of the focus is always on here's what the players were signed, here's how much they were signed for, here's a correlation with the wage bill, here's what the money was taken out. But the interesting thing I always find with that is you come in, you come in in very much in the late 80s, you know, because I think they're basically talking about the building blocks of that early 90s team. Yeah. And what, not to jump ahead, but to just say, when Pleat comes in, it's about how those gears trying to be changed. How is that How is that kind of, the old guard trying to be phased out? And that's, that's an interesting focus. But to talk about the players that are coming in, so constantly on the season review, you're looking back at those names and you're remembering those players. And the interesting thing is that late... 80s to early 90s there were some incredibly great signings yes you know these were real building blocks of that wednesday era and it just seemed like i'm sure there were a lot of like there were there were some bad signings you know i i can't really comment about that but i'm sure obviously that there are going to be some bad signings that there always are but you know the, the fact that uh, that era there's so many brilliant pivotal signings made for bits of money which are a fair chunk of money at the time but really yes. before the premier league kind of starts to kick in yeah. and starts to kind of grow you know i feel like a little bit like everything is this is going to be a really terrible analogy here so get ready folks um everything's this kind of weird little um gizmo or mogwai and you're feeding it you're feeding it, but this time it just grows, you know. So this debt and these the this uh, this money, it just slowly kind of creeps up to become this absolute giant monster as it does. Which sort of, of yeah, which which really starts probably with with the with the relegation to the second division and deciding to kind of keep the squad together, keep the high profile manager and get straight back up which we managed to do but that that's where serious debt started to mount mm. and the club's relationship to credit changed significantly and i suppose a big part of it is you want you wanted to be i'm sure there was a huge clamor to be one of the teams in the Premier League when it started because as we touched on the money even though it pales into insignificance compared to what it is today at that time was just staggering it was it was you know completely life altering money uh, I guess to be in that in that in that club. Yeah. <clears throat> but I I guess the thing is, I mean, I, the interesting thing is, I didn't really have as much knowledge of the transfer market. You don't have that great contextual awareness of football no. at that time. You just, you know, as me and you have been concerned, it's just we're only really concerned about when Wednesday. Even though I, you know, there is that kind of weird era where like my dad used to buy me these kind of like betting books or they're like football stat books, and I used to love them. I used to like pour yeah. over. How many, you know, I knew how many goals that like Matt Letizia scored at Southampton and, you know, including him to all some of the lesser kind of 90s football names. You know, it was probably, it was a more, you know, it's probably a lot more interesting of an era in terms of kind of competition at that time. The thing I wanted to kind of say was, so we've got those early signings, but every year as it progresses, it becomes this like... um I believe Hindus have like a chant which is on Mani Padme Hum, which if you do so many times it makes people clean. Um, this is like the an opposite type of litany. This is a litany of bad footballers that we start to come in that actually makes all Wednesday fans depressed. If you did um if you got your rosary beads out and did hundred and eight counts and mentioned uh Andy Hinchcliffe, 
you know, and players <laughs> like this, then you would clearly put you into a path of depression, that I'd say, and probably put some kind of... Uh, it's, Don't think it's... it's the closest thing to a very kind of uh, uh, weak-dicked black magic kind of, so to speak. Don't you think that the sort of... <sighs> The sort of crushingly depressing... There's certain things that just happen again and again. Yes. And I don't know whether this is the case at like all football clubs outside of a very... You know, Man United's tale of the, of the noughties will not be this. But the... The combination of we could pay serious money and get a good manager that would genuinely add to things, or we can take the easy slash cheap option. Time and time again, we went with the easy, cheap option. Yes. We, we, we got rid of personalities and brought in no marks or gambles, or but always it's cheap. It's the cheapest option available. Um, and Pleat is one of those. You know, like, yes. Pleat, we could have had Houllier, and we end up with David Pleat. That, that sort of choice and the people who made that choice, we just, it's Groundhog Day. It happens at almost every time we appoint a manager. The names mentioned are serious, you know, progressive forces, and then we pick an ex-player who would do yeah. it. Yeah, and I and guess, it's, yeah. It's, so the other, side, the other thing that keeps happening, sorry, is player-wise, you can pay a bit more for a sure thing, or you can cheap it and take a gamble. And we take the gamble every single time, and it fails every single time. The, the signing of Francis Jeffers happens so often through the history it's like an echo it happened it's happened seven times that we've picked the francis jeffers option it's crazy <laughs> it's a it's a bat sonar of mediocrity it, it really is sorry um, i cut you off there so i guess it's interesting i i kind of want to think about that mid-90s Pleat comes in. I thought it was interesting the interviews with Pleat. Um, I actually, near the beginning of it, I felt quite sympathetic towards him in a weird way. I, I've always liked Pleat. I think he's a very interesting character. And I also like, I like that kind of model of manager. I think Roy Hodgson's the last of his kind kind of thing in that way. But guys who sort of took their managerial career as a bit of an adventure. They, they would go to different countries, they try things out, and actually as a result, in their sort of dotage, end up with a huge wealth of knowledge and connections that if they're able to harness them properly, can make some quite special things happen. Um, what we did, What's not touched on in the book is, is the sort of litany of people that we were linked with or, or had trials of under pleat and didn't sign, because I think there's quite a who's who. <coughs> Like Yap Stam, that era. Yap Stam was one of them. Um, I believe he could have signed uh, Shevchenko for less than a million pounds at one point. Um, So, yeah, there's just several players that are in that group of, oh, yeah, we had a look at him, or he was here and had a trial and just didn't take it off. uh, Which is probably really kickstarted earlier than that with Cantona, really. Yes, yeah. (laughs) A huge what might have been moment. Uh, is is uh, is Eric Cantona? But it sounds like what's interesting is the story that's kind of told of that Cantona thing. You know that we oh we wanted to have a proper look at him and he sort of decided to take a sure thing somewhere else. Francis doesn't tell it that way now. He sort of says I wasn't ever really that interested, which is 
which is weird given the career that Cantona went on to have and yes. what an important figure he went on to have. I don't think Trevor Francis gains by saying that I didn't really fancy him. So that does tempt me to think that Francis is probably telling the truth in that regard. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look good for him to say, oh no, he, did, he was, it wasn't for me, to be honest. I, I thought I'd, I'd have a look at him as a favour. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting like talking about... So Pleat talking about this kind of, how do you kind of manage this transition from the old guard to the new players? Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I don't really know fully enough about, we've lived in a very kind of modern football world with like sports science and dietitians and things yeah. like that. And it's kind of a little bit of a callback. Sorry, the, the 90s team is very much... Um, it's very much that kind of hallmark of the big, big Ron Atkinson, you know, the players down Josephine's, yes. uh, all that type of stuff and having a few pints and, you know, probably looking at someone like John Sheridan, who's uh, allegedly likes a bit of a drink. Famously. <laughs> yeah. Probably famously. I know I feel a bit bad saying that about someone who is a Wednesday legend and um, it's just a little bit difficult, but I think it's a different era of football altogether. Let's be honest. And just that that weird kind of I don't know it's like it, it's like we we had a plan to be successful but we didn't have a plan to to carry on that success or a yeah. plan to kind of transition the style you know I thought that was very interesting and, and you know my I was chatting with my brother Andy about this and he was saying how you know Pleat was kind of like a small you know a small guy who liked buying those small players you know right yes yeah I can see that which kind of really goes against a bit. And he talked a little bit about the kind of the old guard, a bit more of a bit more kick and rush kind of mentality and, you know, a few kind of big players and big characters in that kind of mentality as well. You know, was it is it DeGrazi or DeGrace? Uh, yeah, yeah. De Grazer talks about Pleat wanting to play a certain way, but not having the players to do it, which I suppose would would also lead to that kind of there probably are smaller players who are more technical. Um not that you can't be technical and big, but it's less of an occurrence, isn't it? But he talks about there being a kind of discrepancy between the way Pleat wanted to play and the players he had at his disposal. He wanted to play a more continental passing style and had, but for want of a better word, a, you know, a British back four, which just wasn't necessarily their sort of style of play and what they'd been used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's intriguing. I, nobody ever gets much time unfortunately at wednesday uh and most clubs you know we're not we're not strange in that <laughs> uh but y- it means that you don't really get a, cha- a chance to turn around culture you don't get really get a chance to instill a style of play and style of an ethos in a club you can buy players yes but it probably takes three or four years to get a proper to truly get a team that's doing what looking like you want it to look and you've got rid of the ones that you don't fancy for, for two or three years you're pro- you're having to play people rely on people that you probably don't have much faith in mm-hmm. or certainly you haven't chosen but nobody ever gets three or four years to, to to do that building or very very rarely gets that time and if you've got that time you probably don't have money because <laughs> they're probably keeping hold of you because they can't afford to sack you <laughs> so I mean, I guess the interesting thing is, it's like, it's this slow trading down of talent from that early 90s team. And, you know, there's a few kind of stars and a few bits on the way. Reading about this, the hits, the hits still hurt, basically. Yeah. And the dealing of Decanio and just some of the transfer dealings and like how, 
I mean, the thing that kind of strikes me is like there's this influx of money and transfer fees get towards probably a little bit of what we kind of see and kind of feel now, even though it's it's more inflated again, really. Yeah. But it, it kind of feels like we start to get into football players going for millions, you know, millions as plural or 1.5 million. You know, these kind of feel like kind of transfer fees that kind of kind of sound about right for the amount of game and the amount of, you know, talent. But there's a lot of yeah. really bad signings, a lot of bad, costly signings. And then players leaving on Bosmans and players leaving, you know, I mean, De Canio went for 2 million, which was a giant kick in the teeth because that was so poorly handled. Two and a half million uh, lots as Car- well. Carboni going for very little yeah. as well. It- but that, see, but that, that is, I think reading it through, I think Pleat was a, Pleat was kind of a, a, a gamble, but probably a fairly good one. I think probably, I don't know. It feels like, so reading it through now with kind of the benefit of hindsight, it's hard to know whether Francis was right or not in trying to break up that squad. Because Pleat came in and felt actually, yeah, it would have been better if we'd done it quicker. So this is the breaking up of the... Yeah. The, but then he, was still, he still seemed a bit conflicted with saying, well, I could have still kind of had some more parts. He could have got Sheridan, didn't he? He sort, sort of said that. Yeah. It's... He stuff like this. But, I mean, you've still got to... I don't know, it's difficult. And then we're kind of looking at this in a very kind of modern sense. I, I don't know if... I don't. I wondered if, like... Again, it's complete thought mentality to say... So it's like a thought experiment. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, what, would the, what would the achievement of each of these... Um, of each of these managers, managers be for their long-term vision. Do they have a long-term vision, and what would it be when we get there? And what would, but what would we have to sacrifice to get there? Yeah. See, I, I think that's the overall overarching question to fast forward to. You know, today's days, like we don't really know what. No. We, we never know what um, Gary Monk's long-term vision for the club is. No. It sounds like it's a good thing, but you know, to get there and to make the sacrifices. I think it's been very costly for the sacrifices that he's made this season in terms of actually right now, we've got a bit of an old guard. We've got an old guard from the Carvajal era, which hilariously is the end of this, you know, hilariously is the end of this book. Yes, yes. So it's been another kind of mini peak in our kind of history. Um, I thought it was intriguing to kind of the previous peak is those is that cup, the cup final seasons isn't it it's not 93 um finishing pretty high up the league um that's kind of the the previous peak and in a lot of ways there's there's quite a lot of similarities because we, we we'd brought in senior pros who were at the end of their their kind of career basically we brought in guys who were 28 29 years old got the last bit of juice out of them and we talked a lot about juice on this podcast but it's actually I, I could see the parallels between effectively what we what we nearly nearly did in uh, in the championship a, a couple of years ago and what happened in the in the sort of early 90s it was a similar sort of approach you don't take the risks you bring in there was I think there was maybe a bit more light and shade there was a few more sort of younger characters around but by and large this the, the sort of linchpin parts of that team were all folks who'd pretty much gone and earned their stripes already and and were probably close to much closer to the end of their career than they were to the start but that then you've got the same issue that we're living through now is well what do you do with that you can't sell those players. Nobody wants someone who's... You don't want them anymore because their legs have gone. So why does anybody else want them? I mean, do you think that's the learnings of the era that kind of bring us towards maybe some of the more kind of uh, forward thinkers 
of <clears throat> today who are people who, you know, I, I talked about, I think it was Marseille, whose transfer, you know, mentality used to be when the director of football was basically like, you sign a play, yeah. you build them up. Yeah. You know, you sell them the next year, but the previous year you've already signed their understudy. And the cycle continues. But it just seemed very much like even then, I mean, again, it's <clears throat> hindsight's twenty twenty. The book isn't talking about the triumphs of that era. But, no. and, and that's a difficult thing, and especially for me, because you know, being a being a teenager and not having a great under kind of understanding of football, you know, and still having an understanding of football that I'm still developing and still furthering to this day and still as I kind of go ahead through through my life. Um like it, it feels like we're very much trading down the talent. And it seems like we were spending a lot of money just to try and stay afloat within the Premier League. It felt like we were spending a lot of money to just keep up with the Joneses. Do you know what I could have done with more of, though? Um, more comparison. Because almost every time when our wage budget is mentioned compared to other clubs, we're, the, we're one of the lowest spenders. So even towards the end of that sort of wasteful period and the debts mounting when we fell out of the Premier League, um, I think at the uh, one end of that chapter, um, the, the author mentions that we, uh, we ha- I think we had the fourth or the fifth lowest. Yes. So wages is what Wages is one of the most like consistent indicators of performance in football. It's very uh, when you actually look at uh, managers who outdo their position in in terms of the wages that they are paying to their team. The the list is frighteningly small, and it's basically in the Premier League. Uh, you know the sort of first whatever twenty years of the Premier League. The people the, Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger outperformed their wage budget a couple of times each pretty much everybody else if you if you are paying more wages than anyone else you win the league and if you're paying the least wages you go out the league so i thought it was interesting we didn't get that very often i think it's only mentioned twice but the two times you know the story is oh this is so wasteful we're making bad choices but then you look at the wage budget and it's actually like as you say, we, we, we're kind of doing this. We're, we're in this mountains of debt and we're barely even keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. We've got a mini Metro and they've got to be a, a Beamer in the drive. Well that's, the, well, that's a depressing thing. And that's also like, I mean, this is a difficult thing. There's been, there's been rotations of football that, you know, and clubs rotate and clubs have their day and then they, it's peaks and troughs within their own, you know, league positioning and, and you know, their context within, you know, Hey, we just, we'll just call this for the sake of it, the football league, the entirety of a 92. Yeah. Or 91, whatever the hell it is now. Um, and but the, the, I mean the thing is you think who is who are the still who are those characters who are those teams who've lasted you know what like maybe to a lesser Sorry. extent like the lowest of that you would say Villa you're going up to like the top four but then the top four Man City have been you know had a pretty tumultuous kind of scrapping around probably a similar you know scope of Sheffield Wednesday until uh, and actually until, went bust didn't they which in some ways you could say would have been better for us to have done we've done it properly we've owned our debt we've paid down debt we've never we've never gone into administration but yet obviously leicester city you know fast forward and sold on and yeah yeah so there's only six teams that were ever present in the premier league i think you could name them uh manchester united i'm slightly worried that this is old now Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham Hotspur, Everton. Am I on five? I think so. Chelsea's one of them. Chelsea. 
Oh, there we go. So that's a six, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've pretty much just been kind of, they've been kind of resolute characters. But I mean, outside of that, who are we? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, this is, I think, the same mentality now we're looking at. Wednesday, we, we seem to be a team that were kind of like a big, revered, kind of classic football team of the old guard. But then, you know, so I guess technically teams like Preston North End and Bolton Wanderers yeah. are. You know, it, it, we're still bigger than those, at least. Yeah, well, you saw a lot of warmth. Um, you saw a lot of warmth towards the club when we were in the playoff, the, the, the final. You know, a lot, most folks wanted us to to be the team that went up because we were, you know, one of the original teams in the Premier League. We do have that history, but it doesn't count for anything, unfortunately. <laughs> No, the thing I wanted to kind of say was there seems to be a, a very much, and as I'm looking at this, there's a very much mental of, um, there's a very much mentality of we're, we're underperforming commercially as a football club, really. Yeah, yeah. Getting those revenues in, like, and that's the thing. I mean, if we're if we're if we're putting ourselves into a lot of issues to keep up with the Joneses, I don't know. It's it's worrying and it's depressing. And I, I guess that's still that's still the tale now to a certain degree, right? Yeah, but I wonder what that is. Like, I'd wonder why that is. And it's a thing that has lasted longer. I mean, the, one of the other things that the book does is kind of tell the story of the city of Sheffield alongside the story of Sheffield Wednesday in particular. So some the, the economic sort of story of, of the city and uh, the, the attempts and some of them successful at regeneration plays side by side. But it's not... I don't... Sheffield's not more depressed than... It's not like the most depressed city in the country. I think having two teams obviously doesn't help in that in in terms of revenue. But it is. That's a consistent thing. Is we're just not. We don't make as much money from our fans as most other clubs do. Mm. And obviously, the current chairman Chancery has a has attempted a solution to that, which is just charging more to get into the ground. Because if you're not going to sort of spend money in the ground or on merchandise or whatever, then we'll try and make it what we can. <laughs> at, yeah. at the the first point of purchase. Yeah. I don't know, but the, the the other thing is that you know some of the uh, some of the attendance figures are pretty fascinating. I mean, we're sort of better supported now than we've been for lots of chunks of that the past thirty years. I don't. It, it's it is a really tough a lot of there are much smarter people than us have spent time. I, yeah, I know, I know. There's a lot of hallmarks of being a Wednesday fan and looking at the perspective of Sheffield Wednesday as a football club as in the context as a whole. Um, that that kind of make you think there's a lot of things around our neck you know there are a lot of yeah there's a lot of hallmarks of like oh there's expectation oh the fans don't seem to spend a lot of money on things oh you know there's so much of that which i guess is just maybe hallmarks that kind of make up sheffield wednesday who we are for our identity as much as we hate that you know yeah yeah it's yeah it's such a it's such a as I say, it's one of those themes of the of the the whole history, isn't it? And it's probably one of the hardest to solve, but it's also it underpins everything else. But the thing is, most football clubs are losing money. Even in the Premier League, they're losing money. I know, as we're finding right now, it's it's causing a disaster for you know a lot of football clubs. And then I, I think it's the difficulty of football clubs kind of owning up to you know having to shed this image. I think it's a difficulty of, you know, looking at some of these Premier League clubs of basically saying, well, look, we would like to furlough our staff and use the government's money. And then people coming out and saying, you're a huge 
you know, you're a huge club with lots of money. You shouldn't be in the position of doing that. But it's put a lot of clubs in very precarious positions. It's a strange thing that the pressure on players to sort of defer wages and things like that has been interesting to see. Um, it's, uh, but then, yeah, as you say, these these are these are businesses, and by and large, they're failing businesses on on most standard measures. But that all this extra money has poured into football, but it's gone straight out again. Wages have just got bigger, transfers have got bigger, the bubble has got bigger, but it nobody really seems to be making cash out of it, other than other than the players, I guess, and agents maybe. Uh, but clubs aren't making money, so. Yeah. The model is not working. Whether this this is the this is the reckoning, the moment that sort of means means the model gets corrected. I don't know. And how how disgustingly and awfully apt is it to link this back to Sheffield Wednesday? That mm-hmm. the custodian of this time of basically piling on more debt, Dave Richards. Um, gets himself a cushy position with the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, you know, all the kind of murmurs and rumours and whatever is that that played a big part in what we did in response to De Canio uh, pushing the ref as well. Right, so... His his politicking forced our hand and left the club, you know, much, much poorer as a result in terms of the playing staff and financially than we should have been. I mean, 11 matches, okay, it's a... It's a chunk of a season. It's about a quarter of a season. But it's sort of nothing at the same time. Especially a guy that signed on a four-year deal. He could have just taken 11 matches and gone, okay, fair enough. (laughs) It's so funny how undramatic the actual response from the powers that be was and we didn't challenge that as well i mean we could have challenged it and maybe got got it dropped to something less Mm. so yeah to throw away two and a half million pounds so much kind of you know lose so much face and i think probably it wouldn't have helped with the dressing room at all because to see your see the football club sort of act in that way and not protect the player in any way would make you question your employee you know if this is a we we talk about we liken football to other areas of work and to see the club in no way stand by their employee or offer any assistance would make you sort of question your loyalty to them and question your mm-hmm. how much you you care for them so so all of the costs tangible and intangible for 11 matches it just seems such an enormous waste uh, amidst lots of other waste but that it's a it's a it's a crazy one um yeah, I just I was trying to sort of seek out the uh, the mention of our our sort of budget compared to other teams. It, as I say, it doesn't happen that often, but it was when we when we fell out of the the the, Premier, the season we fell out of the Premier League. That was we were the fourth lowest um, wage bill in the Premier League that season. And I think when we got when Alan Irvin got relegated from League One, it said we were fifth lowest. So these things you know decisions are made and uh some of these things are surprising some of them uh are unfortunate but some of them are also kind of tell their own story uh, <laughs> so i i don't know i feel we could sorry to, to lighten things slightly Luke, are you familiar with the phrase you can't have a penny and you can't have penny and bond no um, there's a lot of kind of very, very strange kind of, uh, Northern quips from, uh, from Dave Richards. <laughs> that odd, odd penguin of a man. Yes. <laughs> it also, it maybe seemed a little bit made up as well. 
you know, David Richards is once said to have remarked. Um, that's quite spurious in terms of a link to an actual quote. Um, so just sort of moving through things, the the... So we, we kind of had the the you know the the heights of the of the, the sort of um, the early nineties. A lot of the spending and debt really started to accelerate uh, mid nineties because that's when the club uh, was floated on the uh, uh, on the stock exchange. So that that's where the Charterhouse Group um, came to the fore. Um, and we also spent a lot of money on ground development, particularly around being involved in the 1996, uh, the Euros. So the, there was a huge amount of money spent on the South Stand. And that is where the debt went from something where really on paper you're looking at it today going, eh, you know, a million, million and a half. Uh, what's, you know, what's that really? Um, to some quite a staggering figure. And that it feels like that's where the sort of millstone was placed around the neck of the club that it yes. didn't get, get out from under for, for quite some time after that. I mean, it was, it, we were talking sort of 15 years from that huge amount of spending. It was it was a more hurtful season financially than getting relegated from the Premier League was. Um, one thing that made me laugh was... Because uh, <laughs> Pleat, so Pleat, we talked about Pleat. Pleat signed Carbone and Di Canio. Uh, okay. within two seasons uh both unbelievable signings <laughs> one thing that made me laugh was um <laughs> david pleat uh went up to try and see uh try and see decanio but what wasn't able to i think he wasn't playing the game that he he went to see him but um, because three taxi drivers have said it to him <laughs> the quote from david pleat was three taxi drivers can't be wrong um which i hope they are because taxi drivers are often <laughs> Say some things that I, I believe to be wrong quite strongly, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that quote just made me laugh a lot. Three taxi drivers can't be wrong. <laughs> um, were, there, were there any bits that sort of stood out to you sort of around that around that period? Um, I don't think there was. I I thought it was. I think I've already talked about it, just basically that changing of the old guard. Yeah. You know, um, a little bit sad that, you know, John Sheridan just kind of left one day like he did every day and said that was it. You know, there was no there was no goodbye yeah. for John Sheridan. Yeah. And that's it's a little bit heartbreaking. It's very sad. Um, and I believe a similar sort of thing happened to Kevin Pressman when he left as well. That, um, yes. You know, for all his years of service, there was no uh, no real uh, fanfare. Uh, and I remember to kind of jump ahead, but it's not really covered in the book, how, you know, Strafford did. I remember Lee Strafford saying at the time he actually offered a testimonial yes. to Kevin Pressman. But I think really enough time, you know, tried to kind of repair that. I think that was something that he was aware of from his um, time of being a fan, that that was something that was kind of a miss from how that was handled. Um, and Pressman kind of turned it down, I think, basically because it was just seemingly too much time had passed and maybe it was no longer a good idea. Not knowing what yeah. Kevin that is, but sad, very sad. Yeah, I think as well he'd sort of had enough time to become a character at, um, at the sort of next club he'd been at as well. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, time passes and the, those things they have to sort of happen at, within a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, constantly linked with Bobby Robson. <laughs> That's another feature. We 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 were linked with Sir Bobby about five times during the uh, the period that the book covers. <laughs> Um, I'm just trying to sort of pick pick my way through things. I thought it was interesting. I just, the bit I kind of wanted to come into was going transitioning on to Paul Jewell, who's another person who seems to be interviewed quite a bit, I would say. 
Um, Paul Jewell was 35 when he managed Wednesday. I know. What the hell? No wonder he was, um, you know, getting in trouble with the tabloids for uh, recording sex videos. (laughs) 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 But... So there's a kind of the 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 narrative of the end of our time in the Premier League is frustration and maybe a bit of impatience with two the the first two sort of managers the petulance of so get rid of Trevor Francis um, to save the day Ron Atkinson comes back mm-hmm. and then Richards as a a hilarious jape, seemingly, uh, to get him back for leaving us previously, um, decides not to give uh, Big Ron a, a contract and let him continue the, the sort of work that he'd done in saving the team. So that's where Pleat arrives with mixed results, you know, kind of middling, lower ta- lower end of the table. I th- It feels to me, interestingly, like, I do wonder what life is like as a fan of Everton or Burnley or, you know, one of these teams that kind of, you might have a good season where you finish in the top 10, but the next season or maybe the next three will be surviving relegation. And a good season really by and large is finishing, finishing 15th or so, having an end of season where nothing much matters. And I wonder what life is like for those clubs, because for, for better or worse, Sheffield Wednesday is a team that nearly always has something to be worried about towards the end of the season, whether that is at the right end of the table or the wrong end of the table. There's normally some stakes and some drama right till the death of a season. Um, and with with Pleat and the sort of results he, he turned in in his two seasons... <laughs> We could have been that team, but I think it was before we knew that that was a kind of okay thing to do. Mm-hmm. Instead, we've been on this crazy roller coaster. But, you know, with with a lower end of the table wage bill, finishing in a, an unspectacular position between sort of 10th and 15th is, is kind of as good as it gets, by and large. Unless you're very lucky, it's as good as it gets. So it's a... Uh, Obviously, now there's huge financial rewards to being one of those teams. The least you make in the season is 100 million or something like that, isn't it, in the Premier League? Mm-hmm. Then it wasn't quite so lucrative, but it was relatively a huge amount of money for, for different positions. I think at one point they talk about um, a, a slip in the last game in the season costing us around half a million in terms of the difference between two positions. Um, so that that there was an opportunity there, but what happened was we end up appointing Danny Wilson. Yeah, which the names that were linked to at that period in time, and then who we ended up with. I know that would be such I, a disappointing paper trail to have followed. I just said heartbreaking when we scraped for Danny Wilson. But it's again, it's the cheap. Here's some serious personalities who would make a difference but cost money, and here's the cheap option mm-hmm. who you can probably screw out of a couple of hundred thousand in, over the course of his contract because he's got some loyalty to the club, <laughs> the, the, the the schlub that he is. <laughs> it's what happened it seems with Shreves it's what happened with uh, Yoroth it's what happened with Turner um, it's uh, that's the real beginning of the, of the end a, a man who was 
massively, massively out of his depth and couldn't cope with his two talented Italians that led the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it all just fell apart from there. <laughs> there was a there was a bit where um, <laughs> just made me laugh. Um, so it's sort of talking about there was a, there was a point to, uh, where um, there's a group of MPs for for Sheffield MPs um, talked about issues they had with the club. I think they were sort of grilling somebody. I'm trying to think what the context was again now. Um, was that including David Blunkett at the time? David Blunkett at the time, yes. Uh, so they criticised Danny Wilson. And the, the, the bit, it just made me laugh because it's a, Wilson's response to them was great. One of his better moments that season, in fact. I think it's just pathetic timing, he said. If they want to keep blasting their mouths off, I can't do anything about that. But I have got better things to do than to get involved with a slanging match with MPs. I would have thought people of their stature would have known better. I'm really disappointed by the whole thing. And it just made me laugh because it was like, if that was one of the better moments of his season. I know. I, those I, were I dark, don't. dark times. But I, I don't. literally just the, the most. <laughs> I think it's immensely disappointing that he is a player who we've ruined any stock of yeah. his background. And also I think he's done that further. Well, I think coming to Wednesday in the first place is the first thing. Yeah. Um, any future memory is then impaired heavily by him managing Wednesday and then him going to manage United as well. You know, it's, um, I don't know, but I, I don't think, I think that last one doesn't really happen if you don't do the first, you know, the second one, the him. Yeah. I, I don't really understand much about Danny Wilson as, and I, I don't know. I maybe wish I could go back and kind of like see a bit more directly of his teams and how he was kind of playing the game and et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. He just seems a very angry man who likes to run his mouth off, you know, a lot of the time. I don't well, think several that's... players are quoted as saying that he just had nothing about him. And that's true. It, it, it doesn't nothing ever really kind of comes across about him from the snippets we see. No, but it, I think Wilson at the time, we just kept making this. We've done it several times, but we kept making the decisions of a manager who has had success at a small club. And, and you know, I don't, I know Barnsley fans might take issue with that, but they are. <clears throat> Um, kind of pulling together that you know that kind of team spirit and uh, us against the the world mentality at a small team seems to be something that several managers are capable of going to somewhere and building from scratch or, or not and starting from scratch with a kind of established unit some bigger names some splits whatever else that you need to deal with with a bigger club a bigger um, bigger personalities is a completely different thing to manage. So in Danny Wilson, we took someone who'd kind of gone up and had that one season, fell out again with Barnsley, took the gamble, failed. Learning nothing from that, we did the exact same thing with Paul Jewell. Paul Jewell had taken his his Bradford team that was made up of odds and sods and weird characters and Stuart McCall was kind of their figurehead. I mean, he, he is a man made of knees, and that was like what the football club was built around. And then parachuting that guy into Sheffield Wednesday just didn't, it absolutely failed altogether. Again, so there was no lessons learned from Wilson. You could almost argue we did the same thing with Storrock, although Storrock was a good enough manager to pick his way through things. But again, Storrock was a guy who... Actually, what happened... Sorry, Southampton did with Storrock what, what Sheffield Wednesday had done with those other guys. Because Storrock 
had this Plymouth team and basically was able to get out of that league and did it a couple of times. Warnock's a bit like that with the championship. He's got a way of playing, a way of managing, and it's good for a certain level, for a certain time. And that's it. There's a limit to his powers. He probably would admit it himself. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a strange sort of situation. So yeah, Paul Paul Jewell got a lot of coverage for a guy who was at the club for barely any time at all. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but the funny thing I found with Paul uh, Paul Jewell was um, the brilliant clip um, author that season he had a play on loan called Comblatsit Comblatsit <laughs> Paul Jewell who author. Tom Blatsis from Derby, Jewel. He wasn't there when I was there. Also, he was Australian. His first game was at Huddersfield, Jewel. You know what? I do remember him now. There you go. That's how good he was, wasn't he? I'm ashamed to say that I can't remember a lot about him, to be honest. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. I, I think I would have liked, if the if the tail end of the book was lots of transcripts of the chats, I think that would have been quite enjoyable, actually. I think that would be fantastic as well. And, uh... <laughs> I, I did write that, I did sort of make note of one of uh, Jules' quotes, because it was almost sort of biblical, when he was talking about uh, some of the characters in the dressing room being diff- difficult to cope with. Don't get me wrong, the pro- problems were with every player, and it's easy to say that the foreign players were the cause, but that wasn't the case. They didn't all speak with foreign tongues. <laughs> just made me laugh. <laughs> that was very good. Um, but yeah, I, d- I did enjoy that sort of back and forth with the uh, with the author and the, the chatting. So chapter nine is uh, is called adjusting. Mm-hmm. Follows our our uh, our fall from the Premier League. Chapter ten is about Dave Allen, uh, affectionately yes. or irreverently known as Uncle Dave to to some folks. Dave Allen, when asked, do you want to be chairman of Wednesday? I bloody don't. (laughs) But then he was for several years. (laughs) Uh, So just to kind of feed your personal narrative in. So from my point of view, I think I remember the I remember dropping out of the the Premier League. Um, In particular, I remember the BBC website getting stuck during that Arsenal game and me sort of looking at the clock and going, it must be finished now. And it hadn't updated from half time. So we were three, one up and I was like, that must be it. We've, we've got a chance. We've got a chance. Um, and then at some point it did refresh properly. And obviously the crushing confirmation that that was us relegated came through. Um, and I remember bits and pieces of, of the, the season following. And I, I do remember we had a fairly decent sort of um, run in the league cup. Uh, got to the semi-finals, uh, lost over two legs to Blackburn. But I remember watching us on telly and kind of going, you know, if we play like that, we've probably got a fairly good chance of of, of getting up, so, you know, soon-ish. Um, obviously, I was wrong and we didn't play like that <laughs> most of the time. Um, but for me, I, that, I kind of, my interest waned a fair amount. And I then became a sort of um, awful super fan uh, <laughs> During the, the the sort of time in League One, I sort of picked things back up again. Then weirdly, just that's just how life circumstances sort of fell in. And the the most I managed to watch Wednesday was was Sturrock's first season. But for you, where did you kind of where did your sort of interest wane, and where did you pick back up? I'm just interested as where Dave Allen sits in your mind and, I and your don't personal. Really experience. have any reference to David? The, the Dave Allen was kind of really about me kind of getting back in at the probably i think we're looking 07 08 08 09 prior to that he's so interestingly he's present but he's 
he's absent. Yes. His jury, you know, he's doing, um, he's also uh, batting his eyelashes at me and modeling his own kind of exile, really, after <laughs> mine. He's doing his own kind of, uh, he's doing his arsey sabbatical, basically. Yes. Yeah, Dave so Allen's RC sabbatical, I think, is the episode title. And he was, by by all accounts, some sort of artiste. Uh, I, I didn't know that he was. Uh, he had his own mecha band, uh, the Dave, Dave Allen Sound. Sound. Yes. Wow, I'd love to hear some recordings of the Dave Allen Sound. <laughs> I think we could do that for a, a a thing next week, Rich, where basically you get a dance track and then you get. Uh, you get like venomous bitch and stuff like that, and you sample that, and then you just kind she of. She was the most venomous bitch I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Enjoy your football <laughs> with with some oh, booming bass over the top. His lovely condescending "Enjoy your football" in his chairman notes. Oh. I remember that something as well. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the context. Um, so so Dave Allen um, talks about. Uh, where basically so so one of the, the the key things that happened was um he sort of when dave allen came in um not a football guy by all accounts although weirdly he's been in t- charge of two football teams um comes from a sort of entertainment background but not a particular football fan uh, that's that's what he would often sort of say um he and a couple of other board members kind of consolidated a, a chunk of of shares uh but had too much so they didn't want to offer all for all the shares so they gave a portion of the shares to to a supporters group which ended up being called wednesday night and um alan is quoted as saying definitely the worst decision that was ever made not the worst decision he ever made the worst decision that was ever ever made there's no (laughs) there's no qualifiers there so that is, you know, bigger than, I don't know, whatever, you know, denying Hitler access to art school. It, 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 the, this was, this is it. As far as bad decisions go, um, <laughs> handing, handing 9.46% of the club to the fan group is the worst, worst decision ever. Um, and I, I put down I, hyperbolic even for that bitter prick. Uh, <laughs> So this is where I sort of I found that I found it intriguing a little bit because we have a chapter on uh, on Dave Allen. We so he gets his his own sort of the, the chapter is named Dave Allen. Um, there's Cardiff 2005 is is talked about, and then we talk about the club suing the fans. And for me, it was an interesting decision to cover the whole Allen chapter the Allen era and then separate out the legal issues. And what what's interesting is the character that is not spoken to and the baddie of the, of the noughties is Cavan Walker. Yes. Yeah. And certainly from the outside looking in Cavan Walker and Dave Allen were quite the duo. It, they are not separate folks. You know, they came in together. Cavan was doing the bidding of Dave Allen and it's weird that it's almost like I, I, I do wonder if slightly uh, the author's been charmed by Dave Allen to an extent because I think he's shielded from some of the worst criticism and I don't know that he deserves to be shielded from that criticism. How did it read to you? Because that's what I was intrigued by because I thought this whole episode potentially for yourself is actually, you'll not obviously know of it in the way that, you know, so much of the, the history sort of gets passed down um, and around. But was a lot of it new 
details to you? Um, I think it kind of fell into the already image I kind of had of Dave Allen. Um, I think the interesting thing I, I kind of want to say is and a kind of slight positive as much as I can dare be ever positive a bit about Dave Allen and Dave Allen's time <laughs> is it's, it's like on paper, what he was doing was a kind of good idea. Or like we talk about the hits, there were some fair hits, fair mm. hits in a fair regards to how, you know, we're trying to just actually just make this business semi viable. And then yes. actually, I guess this is the kind of crippling thing. And I think the crippling thing that kind of is contrasted to Wednesday right now, we're paying a lot of money. We're getting fuck all for our money. Really? Yeah. We're getting the square root of fuck all for the big books that we're paying, especially right now. So the question is almost then you may as well just pay very little to do the same. And then maybe there's a chance in the fortune that you get someone in who, who can make some kind of work some miracles. And I think they're probably two very kind of key appointments within that realm of Paul Sturrock and Brian Laws. And yes. in retrospect, they're both incredibly good, um, incredibly good, you know, hirings of managers. And I think, you know, if you, you know, Mandarich's time, you can think about, you know, there's a, there's a, for the time, there's a trio of good ones through Megson, Jones, and Stuart Gray to those mm. kind of different mentalities and different, you know, different life and different shelf lives. But Sturrock and Laws seem to have much far more substantial times, you know, in charge of the football club, in charge yeah. of being manager. Mm. So I will say that, however, the overarching thing that will always be towards Wednesdayites is it is a staggeringly dire PR scheme yeah done, done by both you know i i'm a little yeah. bit aware i'm not fully um dave allen seems a bit like a bit like a kind of pantomime villain yes um and press conference in particular the paul Gregg press conference yes completely it's such a strange thing to do but i think in there i think maybe more so for fans of other clubs who hate sheffield wednesday and take i think everyone kind of takes a bit of light sometimes of some of the some of the shit shows that go on there's a bit of comedy there there's a bit of theatric you know yeah but uh, so there but is that say, then, in terms of like in terms of being like a pantomime villain and things like that what it's almost sort of Trump-esque. It is. To hold a press conference (laughs) about a failed takeover and kind of blame everybody else. Yes. Manage to call, you know, call huge swathes of the fan base names. Uh, It's just incredibly, it's such a bizarre choice. I think it's incredible that you brought up Donald Trump because basically it's kind of about, and very similarities right now, you're kind of looking at a crisis and then reminding the audience and remind the press, we're here for me. This is about me. You know, this isn't about, this isn't about this. This is all again about me and I'm offended and I'm upset. And I don't know. It's he's just he's someone who's had a staggeringly bad relationship with the fans. I would say though that like basically Dave Allen seems to be the Darth Vader, and Kevin Walken seems to be a bit more Emperor Palpatine. I will say. <laughs> like I, the interesting thing is I'm a very I'm kind of aware of characters from coming back in from my football wilderness. And the relationship and friendships I've had with people who have also been Wednesday supporters and just kind of from that influence, I, I think a lot about an old work colleague of mine who I've mentioned on the podcast before. I don't want to maim him because it's it, it feels, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm feeling very kind of sensitive around this. It sounds a bit incendiary, but 
Um, Cavan Walker seems, from what I've been told, to be fairly venomous. There seems to be. Maybe a bit of a bitch. Maybe a bit of a (laughs) bitch, yes. Exactly. Um, (laughs) One thing I thought was incredibly just to kind of, we can kind of segue into this, but I just want to flash forward quickly to Stratford. The thing that lasted with me there are bits of this book and bits of this moments and things that you were told that last with you moments mm. in this book. One thing I thought was huge from the Stratford era was when basically Stratford gets rid of Walker. Stratford gets rid of Kevin Walker and says, I wanted yes. to fire him. I couldn't do it. You know, I had to pay to get rid of him and it upset me. And I told, you know, Brian Laws came in into yes. his office then afterwards, thinking that he was next on the chopping block. <laughs> and then Stratford says to him, I've had to get rid of Kevin Walker. And Laws bends over, rests his hand on um, Stratford's <laughs> shoulder and said, if there's nothing else you do, that's probably the best decision you've made. Yeah, they had a bloody good laugh about it, didn't they? <laughs> but I think I Brian think... Laws comes out as the man I'd most like to have a pint with out of the whole book. I will always... I And again, let's just kind of bring in kind of... Uh, uh, I, moments of me kind of coming in from the wilderness and from what I, I kind of knew. <laughs> and I remember chatting to a friend of a friend, a friend of a guy I used to work with. The guy I used to work with was United Eye and his mates was a Wednesday night. Right. And um, blanking on his name right now. And I remember him once saying to me when we were chatting about Wednesday, saying, I bloody love Lawsy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that kind of sums it up i think he's i think it's i just to go back to great appointments i think if you're hiring managers i think if you're hiring managers with your hands tied and maybe they're kind of callbacks to certain eras much like laws is because he's you know he's lived that life on the cloth yeah um, Sturrock is very much one of those kind of managers like if you have managers with as much character and as much likability as those two, then I think that goes down so hugely well with the fan base. And Definitely. I mean, Brian Laws—he's a man who—he's uh, a man who can jump over canals. <laughs> I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because if you think in the we we seem to weirdly have picked managers in a similar mold all the way down that the ladder. So. Danny Wilson, Paul Jewell, Paul Sturrock, and Brian Laws were all kind of really they had one they had success at one place and they did it as a kind of band of brothers shoestring work with what you've got but build you know build a, a sort of unbeatable never say die team spirit and it didn't work for Jewell it it ho- was hopelessly bad for Wilson but Sturrock and Laws managed to do it at Wednesday and it's probably that Wednesday have sort of come to grips with the fact that they sort of fallen that far there's nobody there was nobody left in the dressing room for Sturrock to who had a chip on their shoulder about being at Sheffield Wednesday because they'd all had to go and Laws took on the the same crew that had got Sturrock to that position. So whatever chip they had on their shoulder, they'd earn it themselves. Mm. It's just interesting. It's an interesting thing to look at. So uh, so ch- chapter 10 takes us up to, to Dave Allen. The next sort of period is, is, for me, is when I was sort of back engaged with things. And uh, I think... You know, we've talked for a fair amount about that that early passage of, of history. In terms of the book, we're sort of probably about halfway through the, the book. So I think it makes sense, Luke, if we sort of hit pause in terms of uh, talking things through. And we'll pick things up again next week with, well, with Chris Turner's kind of rebuild and uh, and then 
uh, the the work towards promotion out of out of League One. I hope people have enjoyed this. It's been a, it's been sort of interesting to talk it through with Luke. Uh, we we didn't envisage uh, having a sort of book club uh, when we started the podcast, but maybe that's where it ends up. We'll do a James <laughs> Patterson next. Uh, <laughs> but for now, I'm going to say cheerio, Luke, and uh, wish you well, and hope you have a good week. And 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 folks at home, look after yourself, stay safe, and. We'll, we'll talk again. See you, Rich, and see you, Ron. Have a good week. Cheerio, Luke.